I want to thank you for listening today. If you have not subscribed to our podcast, please do so and feel free to rate and review us as well. If you live nearby and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come visit us here at Fellowship Bible Church in Jacksonville, Texas. You can connect with us by calling or texting CONNECT to 903-586-6520. If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, we would greatly appreciate that as well. To give one time or on a regular basis, you can text GIVE to 903 903- 586-6520. If you live a ways away, we hope you would find a good Bible-believing and preaching church in your area to join and serve in and support. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you have a great week. Well, I am in my uh, 13th year here serving as pastor of this church and You don't stay at a church this long and not see the church face some serious trials. We have had a a few since I've been here. While at times there are mistakes that are that are made by me and and the leadership when dealing with this these issues, I am thankful that we have a group of leaders who are committed to leading biblically. We're serious about what God's Word says and doing what His Word says do. That is the way leaders are to lead. When faced with difficulty, the first place they should turn is to their ultimate authority, the authority by which all other authorities are measured, the Word of God, and ask, what does God's Word say do here? And I am Thankful that we have had many over the years who have responded biblically to issues in the church. It is important in the church to not only have leaders who are serious about being biblical and leading biblically, but it is also important that the members of the church are willing to unapologetically Respond biblically when times get tough and our days get dark. If you were to remove God's word as our guide and we were to lead and make decisions the best way we know how in our own strength without God's help, we would be in a bad way spiritually. If you have your Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 20. For the last several weeks, we have been focusing in on the last five chapters of this book. These, in my opinion, are some of the most difficult in all the Bible. In Judges 16, the narrative of the judges, the different judges, comes to a close. It ends with Samson. And then for five chapters, in Judges 17 through 21, the author of Judges gives us a ground-level look at what daily life was like for the Jewish people in this dark and difficult time in history. And the picture's not pretty. In the first 16 chapters, we receive a bird's eye view of the decline of God's people Israel. And in these final chapters, the author slows the pace of the storytelling and he moves closer in 
to give us a closer look at what life was like in this dark period when God's people more closely resembled the Canaanites than the Israelites. And while the situation was bleak, even in Samson's day, we learn in chapters 17 through 21 that rock bottom has a basement. That's been my title for the last section here of Judges, the basement of rock bottom. We have slowly made our way down the stairs, and in 19 through 21, we hit the bottom. What was God's people's problem? Well, we're given the answer throughout this section of Judges and given the answer right at the end of the book. Let me begin with the end, and then we'll, we'll jump back to chapter 20. The author of Judges tells us in Judges 21, 25, Here's their problem. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. At this time, in God's people's story, they had completely abandoned God and were busy faithfully serving the kingdom of self. Everyone was acting as a law to themselves, doing whatever they felt was right to them. And what resulted from that was disastrous. We see in the last chapters, after the struggles of individuals and the struggle within the family unit, we see the downfall of certain tribes in Israel ethically and the decline of religious leaders spiritually, and we end up with the complete collapse of society morally. That's where we're headed, okay? Get ready for next week. When people are not surrendered to God, when they're not guided by His Word, when they do what is right, in their own eyes, society falls apart. We said last week, if left to our own devices, we're in a world of trouble. We're going to see that today. Just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, it does. Just when you thought it couldn't get worse than Samson, it does. Just when you thought we had reached the basement of rock bottom in Judges 19, you learn that there's still further in to the basement we must go. Last week we learned of a group of Benjaminites who sexually assaulted a Jewish woman to death. We see sexual assault, we see murder within a particular Jewish people within the tribe of Benjamin of all people. In Judges 20, 21, we are going to see the rest of the Israelites try and right that wrong, but they do so in their own strength. And as a result, commit similar acts of assault and murder. Dark stuff. Dark stuff. I warned you. Believe it or not, there are lessons that we can learn from the failures in leadership. Have you ever heard it said, those who refuse to learn the lessons of history are what? Doomed to repeat them. We need to learn these lessons from, from biblical history. We see here several principles of leadership from the mistakes made from the leaders in Israel in the period of the judges. 
So I want to I look at these. I want to look at these lessons that we learn from leadership because we, we are all in a position of leadership in one way or another, where it, whether it be in the home or whether it be in the church or whether it be in the workplace. And we learn some great lessons here on what not to do from the leaders of, of Israel. Here's the first point we learn here. While leaders are to be united against evil, they must look to God to guide them when dealing with evil. While the book of Judges begins with God's people fighting against their enemies, it ends with them fighting with each other. Look at verses 1 through 7 of Judges 20. We got a lot to read today, so, so keep up, okay? Judges 20, 1 through 7. Then all the people of Israel came out from Dan to Beersheba, including the land of Gilead, and the congregation assembled as one man, underline that as one man, to the Lord at Mizpah. And the chiefs of all the people of all the tribes of Israel presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 men on foot that drew the sword. Now the people of Benjamin heard that the people of Israel had gone up to Mizpah. And the people of Israel said, Tell us, how did this evil happen? And the Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, answered and said, I came to Gebeah that belongs to Benjamin. I am my concubine to spend the night. And the leaders of Gebeah rose up against me and surrounded the house against me by night. They meant to kill me and they violated my concubine and she is dead. Now notice he omitted a few things. He left a few things out, right? He looks, he looks pretty good in his account. We often do that. He omitted the detail of him pushing her out the door to save his own skin. We learned last week that he is at fault as well. It is so important when leaders are dealing with issues that they get the whole story. To do that, we must talk with others involved. God made it clear in his word that, that more than one witness is required to validate a story. And I have to deal with this a lot as well. I'll hear one side of the story and then I've got to hear from the other party here to get a better perspective. They fail to do that here. The leaders here are trying to find quick resolve and fail to consider all who are to blame. Lots of leadership mistakes happening here. Let's keep reading. In verse 6, the Levite says, So I took hold of my concubine and cut her in pieces and sent her throughout all the country of the inheritance of Israel, for they have committed abomination and outrage in Israel. So, brief recap from last week. I know you don't want to hear it, but we need to, we need to go through these details again because we're giving them here. In Judges 19, we're told of a Levite who had a concubine, he should not have, but he did have, and they're having issues. When you violate God's design for marriage, you open yourself up to a world of problems. There's a good application right there. She left him, went to her father's house. The Levite, he waits about four months, doesn't really care much for her, but when he wants her again, he goes after her to seek and reconcile the relationship. While traveling home, they stop at Gebeah for the night. They believed this was going to be a safe place to land for the night, 
It was a Jewish city filled with Benjaminites. While they were expecting a warm, hospitable welcome, they in turn received the opposite. They have a difficult time finding lodging for the night, and they're finally taken in by a sojourner, a man who wasn't even a local there, a man from Ephraim. While at his house, we're told worthless fellows show up. They surrounded the home. They're beating on the door, and they said to the old man, the master of the house, bring out the man, the Levite, who came into your house that we may know him. And that word know doesn't mean they wanted to get to know him better, but it's in reference to a sexual assault. Reminding us of what took place in Genesis 19 in Sodom and Gomorrah. So we see the Benjaminites have become like the Sodomites. We see this spiral downward. The host rightly refuses these men but wrongly offers them his daughter and the man's concubine as a replacement. He says, Behold, here are my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out to you. Violate them and do what, with them what seems good to you. Messed up. We're told the Levite seized his concubine and made her go out to them. He left that detail out of his story in his attempt to solely demonize the men of Benjamin. And we're told they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. They, they abused her to death. The Levite then took her, divided her limb by limb, sent her remains all throughout the territory of Israel. It's a horrific story. Horrific. We said last week that the rest of the Israelites minus Benjamin have a good response. We're told in verse 30 of Judges 19... All who saw it considered the matter, took counsel together, and spoke against it. Great response. They rightly stood against this evil act, but they wrongly tried to handle matters in their own strength. So this, this Levite stands before them, and he says in verse 7, Behold, you people of Israel, all of you, give your advice and counsel here. What say you? What are you going to do about the evil that's been done to me? Notice what God's people do, verse 8. And all the people arose as one man, underline that as one man, saying none of us will go to his tent and none of us will return to his house. But now this is what we will do to Gebeah. We will go up against it by lot and we will take ten men of a hundred throughout the tribes of, of Israel, and a hundred of a thousand, and a thousand of ten thousand to bring provisions for the people that when they come, they may repay Gebeah of Benjamin for all the outrage that they have committed in Israel. So all the men of Israel gathered against the city, united as one man. Underline that as one man. That phrase repeats throughout here. It's significant. We're told they assembled as one man, they arose as one man, and they are united as one man. God's people, Israel, are united here. That is significant because that hasn't been the case throughout the entire book. They weren't united going against their enemies, but they are when they're fighting with one another. 
while certain judges were, were able to gather a number of tribes together to fight against their enemies, there were always some unwilling to join and others who were downright antagonistic. That this Levite achieves what many of the judges are unable to accomplish. He unites God's people together around this common interest of, of righting the wrong committed in Gebeah. Now, it is important to note here that while they are united, they don't handle things in the right way. Because when you, when you read about them being united here, you could say, well, maybe things aren't as bad. At the end of Judges, they are united against this evil. That's a good thing, right? That would be true if they handled matters in a way that was godly. You see, there are times when leaders must deal with wrongs that are committed. While it is good for us to be united against evil, listen, very, very important that you get this. It is important that you do not respond to that evil in a way that's evil. Two wrongs never make a right, right? Are we as Christians to be set against what is immoral in our world? Say yes. Absolutely. Are we to respond to immorality immorally? Absolutely not. While it is right, for this united group of believers to be set against this wrong, they deal with matters in a way that is wrong, which makes matters worse. It is important in leadership that you do not make matters worse when you handle problems. God gives us a lot of counsel in his word on how to deal with issues that we face in life. While God's people are united against this evil in Gebeah, they're going to respond in a way that makes matters much worse worse what is their problem why can't they even lead and in leading a way that's godly against the godless judges 21 25 in those days there was no king in israel everyone did what was right in his own eyes while these leaders are united against this evil they failed to look to god to guide them when dealing with this evil the benjaminite leaders in Gebeah also mess up there are lessons to learn from their mistake as well. We learned from them, point number two, leaders must never prioritize relationships over righteousness and side with the wicked against the righteous. Look at verse 12. And the tribes of Israel sent men through all the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What evil is this that has taken place among you? Now therefore give up the men, the, work, the worthless fellows in Gebeah, that way that, that we may put them to death and purge evil from Israel. But mm, the Benjaminites would not listen to the voice of their brothers, the people of Israel. The tribes of Israel go throughout the tribe of Benjamin to find these men guilty of this heinous act. These worthless fellows. They just wanted these men who were guilty of this wicked offense, they wanted them held responsible. If the men of Benjamin would have given these men over, this story would have been over. 
It would have been different, right? So many lives could have been spared. Instead, they decided that blood was more important than justice. In our world today, there is a crime called harboring a fugitive. It's a big problem. It's when someone knowingly hides a target of a federal investigation, someone wanted for federal charges, wanted by federal authorities. It is often committed by friends and family of the guilty. Here's the problem with harboring a fugitive. One, it's against the law and it hinders justice, but two, it can also endanger the lives of the innocent. I've read stories of convicted felons escaping from prison and being protected by family who went on to hurt others. There have been stories of police raids on homes where a fugitive is in hiding and those in the house have been hurt as a result. When you allow personal ties to hinder justice, others suffer. Many churches have been guilty of this. There have been recent reports of churches who have failed to report cases of sexual assault in the church. Certain churches have chosen to let personal ties to individuals keep them from doing what's right and just, and many have suffered as a result. God is clear in His Word that when wrongs have been committed, disciplinary actions must be taken for all who are involved. When you allow personal ties to lead you to protect the guilty, you're sinning against God by hindering justice and you're putting others in harm's way. Look at verse 14. Then the people of Benjamin came together out of the cities to Gebeah to go out to battle the people of Israel. They would rather shed blood than turn the guilty over to the proper authorities. And much blood will be shed here. Look at verse 15. And the people of Benjamin mustered out of their cities on that day 26,000 men who drew the sword besides the inhabitants of Gebeah who mustered 700 chosen men. Among all these were 700 chosen men who were left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. These are some, these are some skilled warriors here. And the men of Israel, apart from Benjamin, mustered 400,000 men. They outnumbered them, right? Who drew the sword. All these were men of war. The people of Israel arose and went up to Bethel and inquired of God, Who shall go up first for us to fight against the people of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. Now notice the, the people of Israel, they inquire of the Lord, who shall lead them? God responds with Judah. Don't gloss over that too quickly. That's important. They are seeking to right the wrongs committed in Gebeah, and God tells them that the people of Judah should lead them to right this wrong. That is significant. We're going to return to that important detail at the very end, okay? So keep that in your mind. File that away. Look at verse 19. Then the people of Israel arose in the morning and encamped against Gebeah. 
And the men of Israel went out to fight against Benjamin, and the men of Israel drew up the battle line against them at Gebeah. The people of Benjamin came out against Gebeah and destroyed on that day 22,000 men of the Israelites. Now they're outnumbered, but they are really kicking their tail, aren't they? It's a fierce enemy. God allows for this because he wants the people of Israel to seek his guidance, to see their need of him, to seek his help. Look at verse 22. But the people, the men of Israel, took courage and again formed the battle line in the same place where they had formed it on the first day. And the people of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening. And they inquired of the Lord, Shall we again draw near to fight against our brothers, the people of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Go up against them. So the people of Israel came near against the people of Benjamin the second day. And Benjamin went out against them out of Gebeah the second day and destroyed 18,000 men of the people of Israel. All these were men who drew the sword. They're warriors, but they're getting their tails kicked, aren't they? God wants them to see their need of him. This is a fierce army. The people of Benjamin are fierce warriors. God shows his people, Israel, through these defeats, they are in desperate need of his help to prevail. They will desperately seek it and completely rely upon him and God will bring them the victory. Now bear with me here, we got a lot to read. I'm going to get a sip of water before I read this, okay? But I told you that my aim in this book is for us to touch every verse. I want us to read every verse so at the end of Judges we'll have read through the entire verse. So I've got a lengthy passage here, read along with me. I'm going to start in verse 26, and I'm going to go all the way down to verse 46. We're going to give the upstairs crew a, a, a fun time putting all those up online as well. We'll see later how well they track with me. All right, here we go. Verse 26. Then all the people of Israel, the whole army, went up and came to Bethel and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, for the Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, ministered before it in those days, saying, Shall we go out once more to battle against our brothers, the people of Benjamin, or shall we cease? They, they've taken a beating, so they're, they're really thinking about ceasing. And the Lord said, Go up. For tomorrow I will give them into your hand. So Israel set men in ambush around Gebeah. And the people of Israel went up against the people of Benjamin on the third day and set themselves in array against Gebeah as at other times. And the people of Benjamin went out against the people and were drawn away from the city. And as at other times they began to strike and kill some of the people of the highways, one of which goes up to Bethel and the other to Gebeah, and in the open country, about 30 men of Israel. And the people of Benjamin said, They are routed before us as at the first. But the people of Israel said, Let us flee and draw them away from the city to the highways. They're going to ambush them. Verse 33. And all the men of Israel rose out of their place and set themselves in array at Baal Tamar. And the men of Israel who were in ambush rushed out of their place from Meragabah. 
And there came against Gebeah 10,000 chosen men out of all Israel. And the battle was hard, but the Benjaminites did not know that disaster was close upon them. Why, why was disaster close upon them? Verse 35, and the Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel. And the people of Israel destroyed 25,100 men of Benjamin that day. All these were men who drew the sword. So the people of Benjamin saw that they were defeated. The men of Israel gave ground to Benjamin because they trusted the men in ambush whom they had set against Gebeah. Then the men in ambush hurried and rushed against Gebeah. The men in ambush moved out and struck all the city with the edge of the sword. Verse 38. Now the appointed signal between the men of Israel and the men uh, in the main ambush was that when they made a great cloud of smoke rise up out of the city, the men of Israel should turn in battle. Now Benjamin had begun to struck and kill about 30 men of Israel. They said, surely they are defeated before us as in the first battle. They still think they're going to win it. Verse 40, but when the signal began to rise out of the city in a column of smoke, the Benjaminites looked behind them, and behold, the whole city went up in smoke to heaven. Then the men of Israel turned, and the, Benja and, and the men of Benjamin were dismayed, for they saw that disaster was close upon them. Therefore they turned their backs before the men of Israel in the direction of the wilderness, but the battle overtook them, and those who came out of the cities were destroying them in their midst. Surrounding the Benjaminites, they pursued them and trod them down from Noah as far as Gebeah on the east. 18,000 men of Benjamin fell, all of them men of valor. And they turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Rimmon. 5,000 men of them were cut down in the highways and they were pursued hard to get them and 2,000 men of them were struck down, verse 46. So all who fell that day of Benjamin were 25,000 men who drew the sword, all of them men of valor. So instead of a handful of worthless men being put to death justly for the rape and murder of a woman from Judah, an entire society of people are struck down. The consequences of sin and the poor decision to protect the guilty cost the men of Benjamin greatly. While the consequences of perverse and heinous sin are great, the consequences that come from the mistakes of leaders in properly dealing with sin are even greater. We must not make the same mistakes. The, the Benjaminites prioritized relationships over righteousness, sided with the wicked against the righteous, and they suffered greatly as a result. Listen, I want you to get this. Very important. This is vital. There are two things that are certain when leading people in a fallen world. Two things that are certain when leading people in a fallen world. One, problems outside of your control will most certainly happen on your watch and under your leadership. Those that you are leading are going to do heinous things that are outside of your control. We have seen it in the church. It happens in the workplace. Parents, it happens in the home. Problems outside of your control will inevitably happen 
in a broken world. Second is this. The situation will either get better or worse based upon how you lead. Very important for you to realize. Terrible things outside of your control will happen on your watch under your leadership. You will either make matters better or worse depending upon how you deal with the issues. Instead of the guilty party being brought to justice, 25,000 Benjaminites and thousands of other Jews are killed. We are told in verse 35, the Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel. The Lord punishes them for these evils and for their foolish leadership. He gives his people Israel both the strategy and the strength to defeat the Benjaminites. In verses 36 through 46, the people of Israel lure the Benjaminites out of their city and into a disastrous ambush. Thankfully, God is gracious to the people of Benjamin. We see the grace of God throughout the book of Judges, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, saturated with the grace of God. We see the grace of God here. I don't want you to miss it. Look at verse 47. But 600 men turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Rimmon and remained at the rock of Rimmon four months. 600 survived. That's the grace of God. God's grace is amazing. We see it all throughout the book of Judges. The leaders of Benjamin put blood and community above the common good and that which is right and just in the eyes of the Lord. They prioritized relationships over righteousness, the wicked over the righteous. They deserved God's judgment. Yet we see here God graciously preserves 600. He allows 600 of the men of Benjamin to flee. These 600 men will become the core of a renewed tribe, grace of God. Now the opposing leaders in Israel are going to make it really hard for them to survive. We're going to talk about that in a moment. They, they make it very difficult for the tribe of Benjamin to rebuild by the way they poorly lead through it. Talk about that in a moment, but notice here, God graciously preserves the tribe of Benjamin. While the judgment of God is clearly seen in the book of Judges, we see the amazing grace of God in this book. And think about what will happen to this tribe as the story continues. We have some prominent men come from the tribe of Benjamin. Do we not? We have a king, Israel's first king, King Saul. And later we have an apostle from Tarsus, Named Paul. Praise God. Grace of God. God is a gracious God. He is, he is faithful even when we fail to be. He is a God of mercy and grace and love. I wish I could say that for the rest of the leaders of Israel. They sadly make matters worse. They take matters to the extreme. They treat their Benjaminite brothers worse than non-Israelite enemies teaching us another important principle about leadership. Here's the last one here. Leaders lead in a way that is just and compassionate, not cruel, callous, and cold-blooded. Look at verse 48. 
And the men of Israel turned back against the people of Benjamin and struck them with the edge of the sword. The city, men and beasts and all that they found and all the towns that they found, they set on fire. Instead of the, the execution of the hooligans of Gebeah and punishing the men who fought against them, they killed men and women, animals, destroyed their towns. Not just the offending city. They almost decimated the entire Benjaminite society. They went beyond justice to genocide. They lacked compassion and instead they acted in a way that was merciless and unfeeling, cold-blooded and heartless. We must not lead in this way. While we must stand for what is right and true, we must also lead in a way that is merciful and gracious and loving and compassionate. While we see God carry out justice, we also see mercy and grace and love. We already said He spares the, the Benjaminite people allowing for 600 to remain. If the Israelites had not struck down the rest and make a foolish vow that we'll look at next week as we finish Judges out in Judges 21, the tribe of the people of Benjamin could have more easily been restored. But we'll discuss the problems that they bring with their poor leadership, the men of Israel, and the problems they bring down on Benjamin next week. Come back for that as we, as we finish out the book of Judges. But before we end today, I want to revisit the answer God gives His people. When they ask Him, who shall go up first for us to fight against the people of Benjamin? Look at verse 18 again. The Lord said, Judah shall go up first. While we have seen and will see God's people fail to effectively write the wrongs committed in Judges because they're trying to right wrongs in their own strength. When they do inquire of the Lord, He tells them what they need for true rescue and restoration. God tells them they need Judah to lead. We have seen this before. Judah led God's people in taking the land of promise in Judges 1. And in this chapter, Judah is appointed to right the wrong committed at Gebeah. Why? Well, we, we know that the concubine killed was from Judah, so it makes sense that they should lead the efforts. But I believe there is, there, there is something more here. Think about what God's people Israel are attempting to do in this chapter. Think about it for a moment. They're trying to redeem this situation. They are trying to right this terrible wrong. While they will try and fix things in their own strength and fail miserably when they ask God who should lead in the redemptive efforts, God says Judah. Judah shall lead. Something is being hinted at here. God's people are wrecked spiritually. Who do they need? They need a wise leader, a great king. They need a perfect savior from Judah. They need one who can come and can truly fix this mess. They need Jesus. In a dark and difficult time in God's people's history, God hints at what is needed. 
He shows them. He shows his people. They need a leader. They need a rescuer. They need a savior. They need a, a leader, a king above all kings. They need the lion from the tribe of Judah. They need King Jesus. Jesus has come to right all that is wrong in our world. All that is wrong in the book of Judges. All that is wrong in our world today. In every situation. And Christ has come to fix that which is broken. Not just in this situation, but in every situation. And He did it through His life and death and resurrection. Christ lived, died, rose again to redeem a broken people and to restore this broken world. Hallelujah. And the question I want to leave you with today is this. Have you been redeemed? Are you trusting in this Savior? Your only hope of rescue. You can experience redemption today if you would turn from your sin and place your faith and trust in God's Son, Jesus Christ, today. If you have not, that's your invitation today. I invite you, turn from your sin. Fall at the feet of God's Son, Jesus, in faith today and be saved. Let's pray together.